It's 1995, and the album Lemonade and Brownies has failed to produce a breakout song. Atlantic Records is threatening to drop the band. But while they're on tour, the five members of the band come up with an idea that would grab Howard Stern's attention and ultimately catapult Sugar Ray up the charts with hit after hit. And the rest? Well, that's now pop culture history. I knew I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to listen. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. If you're nice to people, have some manners, and remember some names, you're going to have a good life. Mark McGrath is known all over the world as the spiky-headed lead singer of the 90s pop phenomenon Sugar Ray. Famous for huge hits like Fly, Every Morning, Someday, and When It's Over. The band has sold more than 10 million records worldwide, laying claim to multi-platinum albums and a number of top 40 hits, two of which went to number one. It's hard to find someone who doesn't recognize at least one of their songs, which have become part of the emotional landscape of so many people's lives. Sugar Ray fans in every corner of the globe have a personal connection to the sound of Sugar Ray and Mark McGrath, who, by the way, was voted the sexiest rock star by People magazine in 1998 and then graced the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. But Mark completely smashes any stereotypes you might think about being a famous rock star and sex symbol. He takes delight in constantly making fun of himself, especially about his looks. He thinks being famous is great fun and loves it, but he doesn't feel like he's defined by it. And he really is big on the importance of good manners, remaining humble, and always being grateful for everything that life has to offer. He's just a regular guy and dad who's happy to play table tennis with the parents of his kids' friends on a Saturday night in the backyard. Thank you for being here. Sexiest man alive. Well, sexiest rock star of 1998. It's great to have you here. You're welcome, Phil. Yeah. And that's, I don't like to paint with that brush, but I'm not, I'm not afraid to use it every now and then. Yeah, listen, there, is, there are very few people on the planet yeah. who have been given that title. That's right. And so, I'm very proud to earn that. Um, it's not something you hang your career on. Right. But every now and then I can pull it out of my back pocket. It looks good in my Wikipedia. Oh, come on. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that's a draw card right there. It, it certainly is. It is. And especially when you say... 21 years ago, I was the sexiest man <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> but what's scary is, too, is like, you know, in my head, I still think I'm 21 and Justin Bieber. Right. You know so what I mean? Why but, sometimes? But, yeah, right. But, not Justin Bieber, but I mean, I think I'm but, younger. But, but younger, right. But social media will let you know. Yes. Ooh, what happened? Yes. Um, Age? And you still look like the rock star that you were in 1998. Wait, you're throwing the name rock star very loosely i'm sure people watching a rock star i mean i know real rock stars listen i'm a guy who made it in the music business and a couple number one hits and i'm mark, very glad but rock star mark you're a very humble guy i've, I've met you a few times i've told you you're extremely humble but let's be honest there are not many people on the planet who can claim to have had a number one hit that is like a huge thing not just one but two right well yeah two two and you know I don't like to really count, but two number ones, four Mark, top tens, on. and six top forty. It's pretty and cool. ten million records sold. It, Phil, it's the coolest thing in the world. When I think of back, of course it that. is. And that's not something I can take away. I'm the first guy to make fun of our band. I know. I you kind are. of start the narrative and making fun of myself. Mm-hmm. So I've got this big bullseye. When you think of the '90s, and you make fun of someone. It's me. 
I'm the guy you make fun of because I started, I made fun of my own band, you know? Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm really proud of the songs we wrote. We wrote, wrote four songs that have stood the test of time that you hear on the radio, you hear in the malls, people that they, they play them when they're getting married. Uh, I have people come up to me and say, Fly was the first song my child ever sang. Now I have a, you know, a twin eight-year-old. I'm gonna get a little choked up right here. My God, his beer's working. Uh, <laughs> and I know what that means. My kid's first song was uh, Gangnam Style by Psy, unfortunately. <laughs> but that song is Hey Jude to me because yeah. it means so much to my kids. So yeah. having people come up to me and say how much Fly means or Every Morning means, it, 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 it touches my heart as a songwriter. You know, So Every Morning and Fly are two number one songs that can never be taken away. I'm the first guy to make fun of my band and myself, but I'm very proud of those, of those accomplishments. Yeah, and I think as your kids get older, they're going to also realize what, how significant that is. I hope so. You know, I think they're probably embarrassed to things. I've done a lot of stupid things that are well documented. Yeah. And I've worked really hard and at that. We'll as talk well. about some of those stupid things. But okay, so Sugar Ray, I want to talk yeah. about that because the, the 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 first name for your band was Shrinky Dinky. Is that right? It wasn't Shrinky Dinky, but it was the Shrinky Dinks. Now Shrinky Dinks. Shrinky Dinks. There was a toy here in America. I know the toy. Do, right. Did, was it? Explain the toy for so like people who are listening in New Zealand right now maybe don't know Absolutely. what Shrinky Dinky is. It was something that would be like in uh, a Mickey Mouse or would be like in a, a Donald Duck trademark. And it was a thing you cut out and I don't know why this happened, but the second thing was you put it in an oven mm -hmm. and then it became like a toy. <laughs> now a child in an oven is probably the worst idea ever with all due respect to Shrinky Dinks. <laughs> But we loved those toys that meant a lot. It was different in the 70s, man. It was different. But we loved these toys. And then every every time Star Wars came out or something, there'd be Star Wars Shrinkinings or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles going. There'd be, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shrinkinings. So it was a toy that always had this sort of continuity and always always came around every couple of years. So we loved the name and it reminded us of being young. And and we had our final two uh, band names were going to be Chicken Lip or Shrinkinings. <laughs> Just to show you where our band was going. We're, we're not you, talking Pearl Jam Were here. you drinking at the time oh, that you God, were like... I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so we became the Shrinking Inks, and we were a band that played your party. We set up in a beach like this, down in Newport Beach, California, a house not this nice unless the parents were gone. Uh, there'd be drums and guitars and bass set up in the corner. We just played. We played Ramon songs, Sex Pistol songs, Blondie songs, Run DMC songs. We just, we just, we had so many influences that would later affect how we wrote songs. We didn't yeah. know it then. And we said, we'll be the Shrink Dinks. We'll play a few parties. That'll be it. You know, but slowly this thing snowballed. And we said, what if we wrote one or two songs on our own? And we did write one or two songs on our own. One was Caboose. The other was a song called Lick Me. That, <laughs> showing you the, 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 you know, the, 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 the you way, the where your maturity was yeah. at. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing's changed. Uh, so, and, and you could actually lie to record labels in the nineties. We said, oh yeah, we get a hundred songs and it's no problem. And, and, uh, and, and we well, you can't lie now. I mean, I, I guess you could sort of, but right. yeah, I, mean, I think there's such an easier, so there's so much information available. It's hard to really like hoodwink somebody. <laughs> Someone that's going to give you a million dollars. It's a little bit harder like they did in the 90s. Uh, so we got a record of Atlantic Records and getting back to the Shrinking Inks thing. Yes. We're all excited. We're like, yeah, the Shrinking Inks, record deal, blah, blah, blah. What did the record label think of the name? Did they like it? Oh, they the, were fine. Yeah, they were cool. Until... <laughs> until a licensing agreement, which I don't even know what that meant, came from Mattel saying, oh, that's great. You're the Shrinking Inks. Fantastic. It costs half a million dollars a year, blah, 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 10-year deal. At the end of this, we get a 6%. I mean, all this legalese business terms are like my mind just went, Phew. 
And I went, guys, I think we'll change our name and we'll alert the 12 fans we have that we're changing our name. Our record hadn't come out yet. So it wasn't too much of a precarious position where we're going to lose fans or some sort of marketing uh, angle. So we changed the name to Sugar Ray because I'm a huge boxing fan. Right. And I sold the guy. But didn't you worry that you were going to then run into more legal issues <laughs> and Sugar Ray was going to come but at somehow, you? somehow, some way, Sugar Ray did somehow, not Somehow, some way? Isn't that a line from one of your songs? Someday. Yo, someday. Uh, someday. So, exactly. Okay, okay. That's I thought better though someday some way well, so, okay anyway i thought you're suddenly launching into your song lyrics but the funniest thing is fellas you know we thought well for sure sugar ray trademarked the name but he didn't trademark the name for some are you week. serious but he's recently have you ever talked to him about that it would be funny we'd run into him in the 90s and he'd go i think i've got some mail for you guys and i go why he goes they're polaroid pictures that i don't think are sent for me <laughs> Just a good of a stand-up comedian, too. He was great. Like all good rock stars, they get the Polaroids. Great. This is why people sent mail, believe it or not. Uh, and he was fantastic. But recently, we he's come up to us and let, yeah, I kind of want to get the trademark back and all that. And the trademarks are bread and butter. You lose the trademark. So we've worked something out, and we're all good now. But it did come back sort of later, come up to like, you know, can we all kind of share this trademark? I'm Sugar Ray, you know? And so yeah. it, we worked something out. But the greatest guy in the world and a great boxer. Well, Thank listen, you. I've got to just tell you, I mean, Shrinky Dink, I don't know. I, I, I really like, I think Sugar, I think you made the right choice. Might have worked out a little bit better. The classic, know, classic we style. Yeah, we weren't really anticipating possibly having a hit song ever as the Shrinky Dinks. I mean, right. we were playing, uh, you know, Jews Priest songs poorly back then. We never could see the big picture. And by divine intervention and, uh, you know, a lot of serendipity, we were able to stumble upon a couple of hits. That, speaking of those couple of hits, it wasn't yeah. just a couple. It was a lot of hits. It was great hits. And and songs that have become the soundtrack of people's lives. You yeah. know, you think of our lives, like our generation, we think of the soundtracks of, of we think of The, the Cure, or we were talking Absolutely. about U2. Mode, you U2. hear that song and suddenly you're transported back to that time. So for those people who have been living under a rock and who need to go back to the <laughs> 90s, if they haven't gone back to the 90s, and, and remember those great tracks, give us some of the titles of, the, of your yeah. big hits. Well, we, uh, you know, the song that really, you know, put us over the top and you know it was our first everybody yes. loves the first it's the one that's most special to me and people ask me what's your favorite song to play and this one's yep. it a song called fly yeah which you know we were just uh you know we, we were raised on the beaches here of southern california and down here in the 80s there was a healthy dose of punk rock mm -hmm. reggae rock heavy metal uh, and hip-hop and it was all kind of jumbled up and we didn't know how to put it together you know, we didn't know how do you fit all these influences that are obviously so different, but mean so much to all of us. Mm. You know, I had Run DMC in my collection. I had the Beach Boys. I had Slayer and I had Depeche Mode and The Cure. I Any loved... reggae? Did you have reggae oh, in your oh, cure? Oh, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh. And... Our guitar player played reggae four nights a week. That's how he, that's how he supported himself. Right. So when you hear reggae or the reggae riffs. Because you've got a lot of that rhythm. You hear it, underlying rhythm. Yeah, Absolutely. that three, four thing we go on. Absolutely. All the chink you take all that yeah. and, the, and then all those little like you know uh, guitar accents that are all from our, our guitar player Rodney right. who was you know was, is still in a reggae band still plays for fun down in Laguna Beach at a place called the Sound Piper the, the Dirty Bird folks know what I'm talking about uh, and, and so it really it was a huge influence to us but like you think like reggae and you think all these, you know, all these incredible bands, you know, Depeche Mode, The Cure, uh, uh, the Sex Pistols to me had the biggest influence. Oh, yeah. The yeah. biggest. I named my son Lydon after Johnny Rotten. Did you really? Well, Rotten didn't have the same so ring you, as Lydon So you Lydon have, uh, just to, to be clear, you got, you got a, a twins? Twins. Eight-year-old eight, twins. Eight twins. Lydon and Hartley. And you yeah. just came from one of their uh, basketball matches? My son's basketball and, game. And yeah. let's just uh, let everybody know, because I know they need to know the results. Yes. They unfortunately lost the game by one point, but your son's shot 
sat on the rim and was just teetering. It was heartbreaking. You know what? You look incredibly calm considering what you've just been through. Tonight. I've been through hell, Phil. Okay, and I I thank you for realizing that. And yeah. these kids, you know, you know these eight-year-old and kids, they've they been played through their hell. heart out. Yes, they did. They were down six at the half. Now, when <laughs> scores are 18 to 10, down six is a huge, huge obstacle to climb. Somehow, these kids just got together. They rallied together. It, it wasn't anything we said. I'm not going to take credit. Uh, no. They worked Are you themselves. one of the parents that yells on the sideline? Dude, I'm the guy you hate. Oh, really? I'm like, two, three, two, three. <laughs> Low, low. I, I'm that guy. Oh like, no! It, but you're I, obnoxious. I, yes. Yes. I, I'm. I tend to be a bit loud. I am that coach on the sidelines. I became everything I hated. Really? Meaning when I was younger, I'm like, God, I hate loud coaches. Really? Yeah. Dude, we'll play the game. We get it. We don't and, play. And then you and just couldn't help yourself. And I became my dad. You know, I became my dad, and I loved my dad. But I used to hate the things he'd say to me. You know? Yeah. Like, hey, if you don't do this, you gotta do that. And I'm doing that to my son now, and I can see him going. You know, well, you know, at the end of the day, he's gonna remember that you turned up to the games and that you were there and you were the big supporter. And you know, I mean, as as a son, that's what you want, right? You want to know that your, your your parents are there supporting you. It's not great... sound cheesy, Phil. But my my parents got divorced when I was twelve. Yeah. And I was a really tough age. I think I am still messed up from it. I still haven't really discussed what that meant. Especially at 12. At 12. Because for a full year, I was in Newport Beach, California, which is all like, you know, Ralph Lauren collections and everybody's holidaying in Palm Springs and everybody's life's perfect, but not really, you know. So I was like, oh my God, if I tell my friends my parents are divorced, they're not going to like me. And this is my best friend, Mick G, who's still my best friend today, you know, because his, his, his parents' family straight out of Central Casting is the most perfect family in the world, beautiful family. They're sort of my, uh, you know, second family that raised me. And uh, it hurt me so bad when they were divorced but they were at every sporting event together. They were at every birthday together. Even once they were, even once they were once divorced. They were divorced. And like, yeah. I remember my friends even saying, um, God, isn't it weird that your mom and dad are here and they're divorced? I'd say, no, it'd be no, weird if they it's weren't cool. here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, what you're saying really has a lot of weight with me because my dad was at every practice and everything. Not over and you very, remember that stuff. That's all I remember. Yeah. My dad was at every every gig, the first gigs we played. Yeah. My dad actually paid uh, paid for us to play the whiskey in 1989. We had a pay, pay, pay to play policy. You had to buy tickets to get on a show. My dad gave us 300 bucks to get on the show at the whiskey. Really? And he was there with his friends and there was 20 people there. He brought 16 of them, you know? Yeah. And we were selling t-shirts. He bought seven of them, you know? Uh, so he was always so supportive. And even though I- Were your mom and your dad supportive of your music? Like, so, so as far as your music, it was, I mean, you're a big sports fan, right? Right, without but a doubt. What was it? Did you play music instruments? Did you were you in, in high school uh, drama and singing and musicals? I mean, like, what was your musical upbringing? You'll meet no bigger music fan than me. Really? You know, I love. You had vinyl every, when you were a kid, or did you have uh, CDs? Or I had what? a ton of vinyl, uh, and you know, we were CDs start around '84, I think, with yeah. Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. So then yeah, and, so, and Brothers in Arms. Remember Dire, right, Dire Straits? Dire Straits still sounds that album than is any, incredible. It, Dire Straits, unbelievable. Yeah. So I had a lot of CDs, a lot of LPs, because um, some of the old records I like, the punk records, and yeah. some of the independent, like some of the Pesh Mode singles and Bauhaus stuff, you couldn't get on CD yep. back then. So LPs were a huge part of my my DNA growing up. So I was just a gigantic music fan and I would just soak it all in I savor the albums like open them up and pull out the, the things the and look at the second engineer who's the three that's, that's why I'm the three time you rock were looking and roll that Jeopardy deep champion. that's deep yeah I'm the three time rock and roll Jeopardy champion for a reason yes you know I can uh, un, un, shamefully name all four guys in winger for a reason you know trigonometry right through my ear you know but all five guys Duran Duran no problem you know seriously well, it was in your blood fan. I'm just a fan <laughs> just a love music so much and there was the local band every high school's got their band that plays every party and that band was this 
band called the Tories. And they were kind of a 60s retro mod band. They played a lot of Who, Credence uh, Clearwater, uh, Clearwater um, you know, all the Beatles stuff. And they were just kind of that 60s fun thing and they played every party. I noticed that all the girls gravitated toward the guys in the band. You know, I've never been the smartest guy in the world, I'm not the stupidest. Either. You were smart enough to know. So I go, I'm gonna carry this guitar. I wanna guys be that guitar. guy. Yes. Just to get near the act, just get close. So I just became like a de facto roadie. Yeah. I made myself useful to them because they didn't want to bring their guitars in. It made them feel a little more special having me bring it in. And then my, by proxy with the band, more people were like, oh, wow, this guy knows the band, you know, and it would be like sort of the, I'd be like the doorway to the band. So I got to meet those people that way. Uh, and then I got And were to, you always a good looking guy? I mean, you, no, I was a giant zit face through like. Really? I, I, oh, dude, giant craters. Like, and later like, on, when you became sexiest rock star alive yeah. in 1998. Well, it was, uh, it was a down year. Okay. Yeah, it was, yeah. But, I think it was but, me, John Popper. But were and, there people <laughs> that came out of the woodwork like, oh my God, Mark McGrath is like. He's the sexiest rock star alive. Were like people surprised by that? My high school friends were like, oh, I always knew there was something there. I'm like, yeah. Once Underneath zits, the zits, I knew there was a guy away, there. There was a gem there, man. You kidding me? Peel back the layers. He's like an onion. Look at that guy. He's beautiful. <laughs> it took a while, really, because like, and I was insecure and awkward and I was really? a late bloomer. And I was a virgin all of a sudden. So you were the, it would be fair to say you were the ugly duckling who really flourished. Acting man was a real thing in high school. I was a real bummer. I was super, super uh, insecure about it. And I, I went to USC. I was actually in a house with Will Ferrell. He's the same age as us? Delta Tau Delta. Yeah, Will Ferrell is our age. Really? Yeah. And, um, you still in contact with him today? I, we weren't even in contact then. Oh, okay. Will, Will was just another guy in the house. He wasn't yeah. the funny guy. He saw your back knee and he was like, back I'm back out of here. Out of here. I'm gone. And I didn't even finish. Like back then, you'd, you'd go through this whole like in, uh, um, just uh, uh, apprenticeship thing. What right. they call it? Something I can't remember. Hazing, like a hazing, hazing kind but of thing. You were a, a pledge. You're a pledge. A pledge. A pledge. Right. You go through this whole pledge ship and then. Over the summer, you'd go home and then come back before the school started for Hell Week. Well, that summer, I went home, stayed on the beach in Newport, and didn't contact one person from the house. I'm like, why am I going back? Really? And those people I hung on the beach ended up being my band. So uh, I, I'm getting way off track here. No, no, no. But it's, it's, it's interesting to understand. It was just, you just didn't make that connection. It just... The whole Greek life wasn't for me. It's a right. huge part of the USC experience. Right. I get it. But like I went home every weekend in Newport, which is an hour drive. So did down. you finish that degree or did you? I did. You did. I actually did. I initially went, tried to go business, yeah. you know, uh, because everybody from Newport Beach, California goes to USC and goes into finance or business. That's right. just what you do. Actually, I know a few people went to USC and who were in finance and business. Especially yeah. from Orange County area. Yeah. So I was down that pipeline because I didn't know what to do. I go, well, I'll just delay my life. And your life. dad must have been happy my that you were going finance. that way. <laughs> my dad was in the finance in Orange and, County. And were you floating up the whole idea of being a rock star at that time with your dad and, and your mom and dad? Had... No. No. no, because then I was just still a giant music fan. This right. band, the Tories, was still playing. I was still their fake roadie, blah, blah, blah. Were you doing any singing? Were you playing Not any at instruments? All. One night, the Tories, this band that I loved, that I was, yeah. that I was being their, uh, their roadie, was going to play Back in Black by ACDC at a party. Yeah. Now, the singer was so altruistic to his 60s beliefs, his <clears throat> psychedelia, the 60s aesthetic, that he would not sing Back in Black. Mm. He just, I'm not singing it. I go, I'll do it. I'm dumb enough to try. So I went out there and I think I screamed, I screamed, I yelled, I was enthusiastic and there was a pool. It was a summer, summer gig. And I was right outside by the pool. And you're how old now? Like 22? I, now I'm 21. 21? I think I'm my junior, sophomore year in college. Right. So there was zero 
high school sort of musicianship, zero singing, nothing. I couldn't sing. I still you were can. just a music fan. I was a fan of music. That's I love music. Still so love the music. passion's coming through. Passion's coming through. No, the passion's coming through in the performance that night. So yeah. I sing, I scream, and I can see people kind of going, Jesus, what, what, what is this? Like, I don't, they weren't necessarily impressed, but they were amused, you know? Right. Or they entertained. Entertained. Yeah. Well said, entertained. So at the end of the, the, the uh, thing, I put the mic in the stand, and then I did a flip in the pool to sort of end my thing, and that was my thing, and blah, blah, blah. Didn't think about it. Long story short, that band broke up about five months later because now hard rock's really coming into play. This is 88, 89. Yeah. And that hoodoo gurus, post 60s, psychedelia thing was really out of fashion. Your only shot at sort of any sort of career was sort of getting into this LA Guns, Motley Crue, um, Faster Pussycat thing that was happening out here in the Strip. And we're from LA, so that was just, I mean, we're from Newport, so LA was kind of our, our beacon of light in terms of... Uh, uh, of what what the possibilities were, right, or or how realistic something could be. So they decided to span the Tories to go in a more hard rock direction. They go, well, that idiot who sang Back in Black was, I mean, he wasn't that good, but he was amusing. So this is all part of your self-deprecating thing. Where it's, you it's, you they'll tell you that the guy's my band. No, but I'm <laughs> saying you do this a lot, and 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 it, we'll get to that. But anyway, so anyway, so they realize you got some talent. You got something. Not talent. They said there's something there. Mark, it's got to be. It's got to be talent. It's got to be. What else I is guess it? It's entertain. I guess if you can entertain people, yeah. I guess it might be a talent. Yes. I mean, so. But again, it was all developing. There was yeah. just they saw something there. They go, he was just he did something. They were people were really tuned in, and they said, let's give him a shot. So I remember our first rehearsal, and our bass player was super like he was a musician. He was a muso. He was into Getty Lee and all these really like, Jaco Pastorius, all these really technical bass players. And we played a couple songs. I think we did Blondies one way or another. Uh, we did uh, Hell's Bells by ACDC. And I took a big, there was a big water jug that was empty over here. And, you know, there's a part, it, it started Hell's Bells. It goes, bong, it's a bell. And I had a great idea. I took the drumstick and I went, bong, on this big water jug, this big plastic thing. And it sounds lame right now. And it was lame. But it showed my, like, my ability to entertain and just, I think. But they also feet. realized that you this were. This guy's serious. Right. This He'll guy, like, he gets it. takes. He gets it. Gets it. Yeah. Gets it, Phil. Yeah. So you and got their respect in that moment, too, because they're thinking, well, the guy is, like, he's thinking. He's, he's thinking. He's connected to the material. He's knowing his shortcomings. And, and, and we, now, at this stage, were you a good-looking guy? I was just getting older and skinnier, and, and things were just starting to work for me. And I started to look like a front man a little bit. I was getting taller, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so I had the, I guess, the look down. I was kind of like a, a NFL prospect, you know? He's six foot four, he's 230, <laughs> but he goes to Tuckahoe State. I don't know. He's never seen big competition yet. He's a Division three QB. Well, he's a seventh rounder, but you know, Tom Brady was, so it was a long shot, you know, uh, I think at the time. And your parents are thinking what at this point? Well, here's the thing of my parents. They didn't care what I did. And they go, I don't care. Both of them said this to because me. Because by and, this point, you're, you're working through your degree. Now, now I'm in. My dad said, I want a 3.0 at USC. Right. You don't get that. I'm pulling the resources. Thank right. God he paid. So they up. covered all of that. They covered all that. I may, I get like a 3.0 oh, fraction. Yeah. I barely make it every semester. But you make it. Well, I graduated. My final GPA was 2.98. My dad goes, you would. You would do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. My last thing. You're I, pushing it, son. You're pushing well, I, you know, he wanted a 3.0, and I just, the last semester brought me down just a little, and then he's just like, oh, I'm, I've already got my But you graduated. Yeah, so I'm a junior now, and things are starting to happen, and, and now the band is becoming something we do a lot. We play a lot of- uh, Mostly court. local, going All around. local. All, yeah. you know, some LA, some, a lot of San Diego. San yeah. Diego is a real hotbed for us. 
because uh, we had a bunch of our friends in high school that went down to San Diego State, yeah. which is one of the biggest party colleges, schools of all time, certainly back then in the 80s and, and the early 90s. So we, we did about two, three, four gigs a week, and we started getting better as musicians, playing these cover songs. We started to learn our roles as, as in a band. So we became, I wouldn't say a tight band. We were always loose, always a loose band, never really... Uh, you know, tight musos or, or really a, one of those bands you're like, wow, they got it together. But we were getting our shtick together, you know? Um, and that's what all those, those club gigs did and, you know, and playing all those covers did for us. What is that like, Mark, when, you, when, when you're that guy who's up the front and the band's playing around you, but at the end of the day, they're hanging off every word you're singing. Yeah. And you look out in the crowd and you see them saying the words that are coming out of your mouth, right? I mean... Describe that to people who will never experience that in their life. Why, you know, it's 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 that thing that keeps me coming back every day. It's the yeah. thing that makes me perform the rest of my life. I wish I could, you know, articulate what that is. Yeah, you know, it, it's that drug that that's that you you can't describe. It's it's intangible. It's 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 something that I'm always grasping, and and the first time's always as good as the last time. You know, as a performer, you know, it's addictive. It's beyond addictive, and right. getting that adulation, like it was fun when I was doing cover songs. Is Heaven that forbid you write your own song, <laughs> yeah. and now you have a number one song that you wrote? I remember the 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 the, the, the wow, pinnacle that must of my be career. crazy. I'm the just thinking about that. It's one thing to sing somebody else's words, but then when you see someone else singing back your words, it's and, and you could see like the passion when they're singing and they're. They're holding each other like this and singing, and, and, and it means so much. Even now, nostalgia, nostalgia is a beautiful word to me. Yeah. A lot of bands of my era, they run from the word. No, we're still relevant, blah, blah. Yeah, dude. I can't wait for your new music, you know, whoever yeah. you are. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trading on nostalgia now. And to me, if you look up nostalgia in the dictionary, it says great moments. Yeah. Things that last forever. And deep emotion. Deep emotion. And transporting. Because, because for me, Again, going back to this whole idea that when you hear that song, you know where you were and what you were doing, and it you get transported without and, a doubt. And, and we, and, we're and, connecting to a better time sometimes, with, you know, of escapism. Because you know, we always look back way better than it actually was. Yeah, you know, people like the we, '90s was the greatest shit. decade ever, but it really was it. I, I got a number one song. Could have been that great. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, but people just look back and paint this picture, and it's right. just so much better. And thank God they do, because I right. still got a career for it. And I, sometimes people go, "Are you still doing that band thing? Are, Are you still doing that band thing?" And I'm like, "Would you say that to a dentist that's 50? Right. Are you still doing that dental thing? Yeah. That's you know? like, what I do. It's, I'm a dentist. It's, I'm not looking for a new career. I, I'm, I'm not in your TV every day. Yeah. I mean, I, but I, it's what I do. You have know? you ever smacked anybody? Yeah, you, you, you know. What you do know? you mean, what am I still doing that well, band thing? I understand because like it was something to them that was new and relevant. Right. And I, and, you know, and, but to me, it's like, wow, man. If, if, yeah. I, if I get to like just perform these songs the rest of my life. And if I'm in a Denny's in Barstow at 75 playing Fly three times a night. Yeah. I am the happiest place. Don't worry about me you know we, we play clubs and stuff like that and i'm honored to do it uh to see our, our our fans are very vocal and they're very fervent and they're very expressive and 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 they tell me how much this music means to them you know yeah. and so that i will always protect these songs and sing them as are you know there'll never be any sort you're of you're not cynical about what never. the past right i've seen bands go let's just get this over with right and they'll play this hit song off the top, the one song anybody's right. coming to see. And then they try to play the new stuff that a lot of people can't connect with because it has no meaning to them. 
And it's sort of like they want to jam it down the throat of the audience who likes them because of what they did before. Which to me, I've never understood. Right. There's bands that, that have all these hit songs in their back pocket right. and won't play them on some artistic right. license yes. thing. And like, no, it's we've got to move on. Look, God, God bless them and you're, you're a stronger performer than me because if I knew I had a couple of these hits in my back pocket and I didn't play them, I right. would beat myself up, you know? And as a fan, I'd be gutted if some of the bands I see didn't play these hits. You know, look, uh, you know, I've noticed that, that audiences and fans, they're, they're, they're very, they, they will listen to some new songs. They yes. will. They won't listen to lots of new songs and they certainly don't want to be sold a record. But you've got to give them that trip. Give them that what trip. they came for. Give them what they came for and don't be a dick about it, That's right? all. That's all. I think the king said it best. Give right, the yeah. people what they want. What they want. It ain't that hard. Mark, and they, and they'll, they'll take a couple songs, you know? M Mark, you've been on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. That was awesome. It felt like I, I was I, defiling I mean, the brand. You know what I'm saying? I'm right. like, I'm like, you know. But what was that like? Did you did you ever walk it, up to a newsstand and go, "Holy crap, that's me on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine"? Without a doubt, I did, and it was so surreal because we walked through the airport, and this one had magazines. You know, magazines were much bigger than they were gigantic. today. Gigantic. They were yeah. in all the windows because people weren't reading online. You had to go get the cop. You went to get your get copy of Playboy or people who were subscribing to those magazines or Maxim or, or National it was. Geographic Sports Illustrated or yeah. whatever you, whatever your, whatever your thing was. And to walk to an airport and see myself, I, I, it was almost like I almost felt like I went to one of those theme parks and you could yeah. put your face on the cover of Time Magazine, like Man of the Year. I'm like, yeah. how did this happen? And it's just. I, and I, how did it happen? Like, what, what, what was the journey to that? Like, do you remember getting the call? Like, I from, do, I do. I, I think you know. At the time, after Fly came out, and Fly was the anomaly on the record. It God, was that on. was a good song. Well, it, it was. You know, it's, it's just one of those songs. I mean, it's just it, like, boom, straight away. And it's it's had a lot of legs, and it's the reason why I'm still talking to you today. And it still feels fresh when I hear it. You sure know, does. It still feels like the first time. And I am really proud of that one. You know, yeah. VH1 voted number 52 best song of the 90s. Is that right? Think of all the songs released. It was 50 cents. I'll take it. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, recently Billboard had us... Uh, had us as the 90, like eighth best alternative band of the 90s or so. Just really unbelievable accolades we don't deserve, like other bands get, not us. So looking back, as I get more distant from when I was living in it, yeah. I'm more appreciative of all that stuff. But, you know, being on the cover was just, it was ridiculous. And so Fly was the anomaly and it was happening. It was the number one song. And then people thought, thanks for playing Sugar Ray. You know, we've got there were, there were a lot Kajikudu's of critics waiting right? for you over here at a party. And here's your one hit wonder cruise right. ship. Have some fun. But there were a lot of people who, who, who really did sort of think, oh, well, they're just like a one-hit wonder, and right? I don't, And guess what? I did. I thought we were a one-hit wonder. Because Fly Did was, the band? Did, did, well, we were all going, how did that happen? Because Fly was the anomaly on the record floor that it was on. God, but, that's got to be a scary feeling. Like, you, you've got a terrifying. number one, you've got a hit. Careful what you ask for. Right? And then you're suddenly there, and you think, holy crap, how are we going to keep this thing going? And you, you, said, um, you said, I understand why some people don't like me. You said... In the article, I've done a lot of douchey things. I yeah. don't know what those are. I've done a lot of douchey things. I understand why people don't particularly like me. What do you What do you mean by you've done a lot of douchey things? Because all I hear about you from everybody, bar none, and including our mutual friends, is that you're like this nice, considerate, gracious guy who really believes in manners and... And, and what do you mean you did a lot of douchey well, things? I, I do believe in those things, certainly. And like, I think people that know me may, may feel that way. But, you know, I've just done some stupid things. Like and what? I, I just come out of bars drunk and acted like an idiot and said stupid things. And, you know, I regret some things I've done. I had a hairdo that was probably didn't age that well. The highlights did not age that well, my friend. Well, how highlights did you and have hammer that? pants are, are the same Are you still thing. highlighting? 
Uh, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, and, and I'm wife, not highlighting anymore. By the way, I used to. Yeah, no, but I, I see. I, I, 80s, 90s, I used to. I are, used to are, highlight. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I dive in? Uh, yeah, dive in, dive in. Are you dying? I'm not dying. You have no gray. I've got, well, I've got a little. A no, of don't do no. No, no dying. I swear to you. I believe you. Yeah, no, no, no. Because uh, it looks great. Because here's my thing. You're dying. About ten years ago. You started dying. No, I go. I'm not dying. Mark, is there I've anything? Been dying you, my whole life. Is there anything you're not taking? Proesia and the back back acne stuff, and now hair dye. What else are you taking? You and you're telling me I'm talented. I told you <laughs> I am a robot. I'm I'm, fa- I'm smoking mirrors. I'm a pharmaceutical nightmare. That's who I am. If there's a nuclear winter and you can't go, go <laughs> down to the drugstore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll survive that one because I've got you know I'm not I'm not made of real man's flesh. I'm chemical. Uh, but you know, like you know, it's funny when we talk about this. It's this vanity game that we're in. Right. You do what you do to stay in it. I don't want to lose my hair. Yeah. Okay. I don't mean to be so vain, and I don't want to gain five hundred pounds. Well, you I'm are a lead singer in a band, and yeah. people want me to be three hundred pounds involved. They would love to see that. Who would like to see and that? One of the social media out there. Anyway, right. Like I said, I'm just a target of all things douchey from the '90s, and that's why I say when I say I don't see why people don't like me. I don't understand why people like think, oh, that guy. You know, because I've just done things and, you know, I, I am not the most talented guy. I've got more than I deserve. I've had two jobs I don't really I think you're really more talented. I think you're more talented than you give yourself credit for, which I think is one of the reasons that you're so good at what you do because you don't take yourself too seriously. Well, if that's a talent, then you're right about well, that. Well, no, but I think, I think it's that, that, that humility, people have picked up on that about you. And I think it's allowed you to be where you are today because you're not living in the past yeah. and yet you are prepared to go back to the past and celebrate the past. Without so, so I, I think it's a cool, uh, I think it's a cool part of who you are. You know what I mean? Like I, it doesn't seem to me like you're, you're losing sleep over the fact that you're not necessarily on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine anymore. No, because the fact that I ever was once, it right. warms my heart, right. you know? And the fact that I'm not on MTV or, or have hit songs anymore, it, it, it doesn't, I, I, I did it. I'm yeah. so thankful to still be able to do this thing, you yeah. know? Uh, and maybe my talent, look, here's, here's one thing that my parents always, always taught me. If you're nice to people, yeah. have some manners, and remember some names, you're going to have a good life. You and I met on Extra back yes. in, in 2004 when yeah. you first got started. That was ju- Dude, I remember you were one of the first celebrities to walk in. I'm like, it's Phil. And my mom, rest yeah. all favorite Listen, show in I'm the like world. I'm like the smallest celebrity that walked in. Not even. Dude, you t- interviewed some you crazy celebrities. And, and and you have some really funny stories about some of the celebrities. Like, I do. Like the some first, doozies, like man. you're a rock star, okay? So, and, and you're used to being in front of thousands of people. You're used to performing. Suddenly they go, hey, hey, Mark, you know what? You want to be the host on Extra? And you're like, uh, okay. So you, again, no you're like gung-ho, you go do it. And then up rocks. Let's talk about the William Shatner oh, time. My. So William Shatner, right? And, and again, William Shatner, Star Trek. I mean, legend. I love the guy. Yeah, and, and he's you know he's, he's got a good Kirk. sense of humor. I thought he did. Yes. Uh, no. No. Okay. So, so he walks up to you. You've, my you're a host. First interview ever at Extra was at the Emmys. Right. Now you've done. He's some, just won an award. Just won for I think uh, Boston Legal or something. Yeah. And and it's his 50th Emmy, and he's done a hundred million of these things, and he's and he's got his wife there, and he's over the whole thing, and he's got this thing, and it's my first interview, and Dana Devon, you know Dana, yep. right? And she's like, all right, Mark, this is, I'll let you do, you know, uh, Shatner's pretty cool. So I'll let you go first. Are you sweating? 
Beyond sweating. Right. Because you know all those award shows, I don't care what they are, in LA, it's always 145 degrees. Yeah. Especially I, before they put the, the covers in and yeah. people were fainting. And, and fainting you know. and you got a tuxedo on, I'm stressed out. So William Chatter walks back and, and he's with his wife and stuff and he just wins. And he, you know, William Chatter's got an air about him. Yeah. It's just like... It's a cockiness And he's got a face looking like, you're the dumbest guy he's ever seen. Right. And I certainly was to him anyway. Because he, he comes up to me and, and Dana goes, okay, Mark, Mark. And he kinda, she kind of uh, elbows me inside. Take him, take him, take him, take him. I go, okay. I go, um, uh, 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 Mr. Shatter, what, 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 and he goes, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> and I went, ah! and I looked at Dana and she jumped in and then like saved the interview. And I go, it's, it's my first time. And in a, I, I go, it's my first time I'm in the band. He goes, I can tell. He just caught me so off guard because Dan's like, he, he's cool. Go ahead, go ahead. And I'm like, this is backstage. It's all, it's all champagne and roses. And, cat. and, and I'm like, wow, I'm going to go back to my tour bus. It's too gnarly in this entertainment news business, you know? So that was, I mean, that was my first interview off the, off the bat. I had to learn to be subtle, to bring it down, bring it yeah. down a lot. And I remember the best uh, sort of gauge of how I did. I walked into 7-Eleven about six months after I started Extra. And I, there was a guy in 7-Eleven getting coffee. It was about six in the morning. And it looked like he'd probably run up all night having fun. Neck tattoos, like kind of ominous and scary looking. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God. And he walks up to me, he goes, hey, Mark. And I go, hey, dude, what's up? What's up, bro? He goes, you know, you sucked when you started, but you're getting better at extra. Keep it up. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, man. You know, this guy, if I'm passing the muster with this guy. Yeah. So I had to learn in front of America how to be yeah. I think you saw that. You know, at first well, I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm I like, don't know if people realize it's not that it's not easy, right? Well, I mean, you, you, when you're in a job particular like that, you've got to be up with the zeitgeist. I mean, you've got to be up with, with popular culture. You've got to be up with what's going on. Suddenly you find yourself, you know, standing in front of William Shatner. But tell us some of the other stories like uh, Al Pacino. Wasn't there a story with Al Pacino? What happened with him? Al Pacino, might, it, it was a bit of a, a it, it, it took a little piece of my soul that night. Really? Because Al Pacino was doing a play, like in Pasadena. Right. Doing, With that voice, you yeah, know, right? Like, right. Like, it's yeah. like, almost like God. Yeah. It, yeah. it is like, and Al Pacino it, was a God. It, it, yeah. And an acting God anyway. Is that, well, when he walks down, the, there's something going, you know, he just, there's, there's an a aura. different air. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, it's not like a reality guy. It's just, it's Al Pacino. Yeah. And all the respect that man deserves. And, and, and so he was doing like Hamlet for the 90th time in, in the Pasadena <laughs> Playhouse that, you know, we were going to talk nothing about. Yeah. So we have to ask him 30 questions about the play. But we're going to ask one, we're going to hit him with one question at the end that we're going to use because that's how entertainment news works. And by the way, entertainment news doesn't decide what to give you. You decide what to give it. So people used to ask me, why so much about Britney and Paris Hilton? And Because like, of you, they do the research. Right. You know, look, we'll do more Todd Bridges if you want. You know what I mean? But we understand that you, what you want. So that was the reason. So I know I've got to hit this question at the end. So I'm like, so Al, um, you know, wow, when you get in character and, and uh, as King Lear, you must really, what are you feeling? So, oh, yeah, King Lear. Oh, yeah. And he's telling me the whole thing. Wow, and, you do a good Al Pacino. Who doesn't? Right. Yeah, you know well, no, but I mean, you got him down. You know, he's do, just this whole thing. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to ask. I'm inside, I'm dying because I know what's coming. The, 12th, the 19th. Are they question. in your ear saying, go ask no, the question? Not, because no, because it's, it's a remote. So it's but you just me. know that you got to do it. it. They don't care about anything else. But, I could have asked this question first and left. Right. But I had, I can't. It's got to be an asinine question. So. Kevin and Brittany had just broken up. Mm. So You know, uh, people have even forgotten who the hell Kevin is now. Right. But they know two, who Britney Spears is. Without a doubt. But Kevin, I, I don't but know. But in 2007, uh, it was, Phil, this was a big hot deal. topic, okay. especially in the other world. So you got to hit the question. So I know the question's coming. I'm sweating more than this fire is making me sweat right now, right? Yes. So 
here it comes. The question I go, Hey, Hey Al, uh, congratulations on the, on the, the play here in Pasadena. It's fantastic. I'm sure everybody's going to come out and, and see it. Uh, you know, we're, we're a different kind of news show and I've got to ask this because our, our viewers want to know. Oh, so you were, you were like setting it up. I like, Hey, listen, really I'm really sorry. I got to soft shoe this yeah, thing. I gotta, I'm in a band. I can't believe these guys want this. I go, uh, what do you think about Kevin and Brittany breaking up? Oh boy. He stops and looks at me. He goes, you're better than that. You're better than And then walked away. Oh. And I just went, hey, 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 like a dog, look at the hurt paw. And I just felt, I just went, I, I, I can't. What I, did you I, say? I don't did have you? much esteem left. Right. And it just went through my shoes. Oh. And it's gone. I just went. This was, was this live? No, it wasn't live. It wasn't live. I don't live. care. I don't yeah. care if it was live. It still, it, it was, was just live that, to me. Yeah. You know, I was And you're there. still living it. I was there. And I brought it up and right. I'm sorry. No, but it's actually my favorite story because it kind of just shows you. And by the way, that's just what people want to see at Extra. Now, I didn't get an answer from Al Pacino. Yeah. But you know what the first was? Tonight an Extra? We get Al Pacino answer the question. Hey, Al, what do you think about Kevin and Brittany Brick? And guess what? Pause. He basically said what you expected him to say, which is, I don't care. We didn't even, we didn't show it. We go, well, I was a little reluctant. The answer yeah. we say at the end of the 30 minutes. Yeah. But go see, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. they just wanted that. So, Al, what do you think about Kevin and Brittany breaking? Right. I'd be like, boy, I wonder it, what they It want. probably couldn't have done any better. Well, that's all they wanted. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's how those shows work. And, and they do a great job. And Mario, who replaced me, has been there for years. Fantastic. And, and we talked about this earlier about those shows. And, and people think it's a little fluffy and it is entertainment news and it's not brain surgery. But the people behind the scenes that work yeah. in those shows, really some work of hard. the smartest, most whip smart, uh, hardworking, the crew guys, the camera. Do you want to ever do anything like that again? Uh, I mean, I would. I wouldn't be against it. You know, it, yeah. it was. It, it, I mean, like it was you, beyond my skill set, though, Phil. You know, like the 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 pub. You know, the publicist juggling. But what about another hosting gig, like some other kind of hosting gig, like maybe some you know, like a travel show or you know, I, I maybe a music to, show. Every now and then, I, I mean, get, you'd be great at doing a music show. Well, I think I've aged out. You know what I'm saying? There's worth. We're, we're all waiting for Pat Sajak and Alex Trebek. <laughs> Are we all? I don't think I'll get a call. You'll be the first one. <laughs> the in. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, you know, we we're all waiting for that stuff. But, uh, but you know, so like, I, you kind of age out, you know? Thankfully, it's not, it's, I mean, I always have. Yeah, but there's always back. a place, you know well, what I mean? And every time there's a night, best of the 90s in and CNN. And just with your depth of knowledge of music, you know, I'm just thinking of. Well, the how, irony is Jeff Probst. Yeah. Host, he, how I first hosted met him? He was hosting music rock, and Jeopardy. Jeopardy. rock and Roll Jeopardy. That's how That's I right. first met him. I go, right. In the 90s. In the 90s. I go, this yeah. guy's pretty good. You yeah. should do something else sometime. Well, good luck with that, little yeah. host guy. Well, I met him at FX back in the early yeah, 90s. Yeah, when, and it, then, when it was live in New York, right? Yeah, live in that uh, breakfast show with Tom Bergeron. Yes, yes. And, and then... Um, Three of the greatest hosts ever. Yourself, well, Tom Bergeron, well, and Jeff Probst. Well, we were... We with were all, all due... I'm we, not, were all, not even, we were all given like this incredible opportunity. And uh, and then and, and then Jeff and I were up for Survivor together. Mm -hmm. If you if you remember, that. I do, then, I do. Then uh, thankfully I ended up getting an amazing race. I think but you did all right. But um, yeah, I remember that. And and so what with a all trio there. Look at that. It's like it's like the Pippin. Mark, let's not Jordan, go. Let's, let's not no, go. No, but what, what a triumphant uh, there of hosts. Some of the right. best. Tom Burge, you guys are just the most right. effortless hosts. You put Seacrest in there. You got the Beatles the host. <laughs> Yeah, Who's Beatles. Ringo Starr? Probs. <laughs> 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 Uh, no, listen, um, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, I, I, I would love to see you take all that musical knowledge and then you're just your passion for music. What's and I love that. I mean, I love that you're still, you're still touring. I mean, you're still, you're still playing your music and you still, you live with such passion and you're such a passionate parent. Yeah. Thank you. Man. And, 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 and that you have, I mean, you have that reputation and then you did this, this really brave thing and you went on big brother, like you exposed your whole body and soul. 
right down to going into the bathroom of the Big Brother house with a microphone hey. in there. Thank God there wasn't a camera. Oh, my God. And, well, I don't know which is worse, a microphone or a camera, <laughs> Phil. They're both I'm, bad news. I'm just wondering. The sound <laughs> of what's going on is probably worse than what's actually going it's on. It's all bad. Yeah, it's, it's all, all bad. bad. Yeah. So, so you may have really made a really brave choice to go into that house. Well, yeah. And you did very well, too, by the way. But the guy's working and going, what a brave choice to go to Big yeah. Brother. You yeah. Know, like, yeah, the guy in the coal miner exactly in Kentucky's going, guy, yeah, yeah, that guy's brave. I got to go into a right. cave every day. This anyway, guy hanging drywall right, right let now. Me, let me really rephrase that. Guy? Yeah. I, I, I think it's, I just cannot imagine like being under a microscope, literally yeah. under a microscope. For how long were you in the house? Well, you know, the regular one goes three months. Yeah. And my hat is off to those kids. Now right. they're kids. You know, yeah. they, they're, most of their occupation says unemployed. Yeah. You've noticed that uh, on the Big Brother. They've right got time. At, well, at most, most seasons. Yes. You know, but they're 23 year old kids that didn't really get a job yet and they can go spend three months in Big Brother and we all love it. Uh, me, I've got a family, I've got a business to run. Yeah. You know, and, and you're off the grid. Now, Celebrity Big Brother, they don't treat you any differently, just that it's a shorter season. And when you say off the grid, you're not hearing any outside news from no the world news, no nothing there could have a wool could have been built while you were in that house and you wouldn't have known without a doubt the government shut down and we didn't know right the super bowl got played and we didn't know what happened right i mean that's a crime you're getting nothing you yeah. know what i mean yeah i mean not to know what's going on not with to this know super bowl. That, that brady lost i would have liked to have known that our buddy stephen coleman was happy to yes. see the eagles win but yeah so they really and that that's what made it so hard and and and, and um you know, just I miss my family so much, and and your emotional range and spectrums are so heightened in there because mm. you are starved for love, attention. You, you know, the guys are cool, and you, you small talk with them, and then you're bored of them. Like Metal Peace, I was so stoked to see him for an hour. This is a Laker; he's got a championship. And then two hours, I'm like, what else we got? You right, know, and I'm yeah. like, well, we got 20 hours to like, kill right you, now. So no TV. There's no TV. No radio. no radio. You can, if those who are religious can bring in a Bible. That is it. There's no reading. You can't even sing. Like I'm. I, like, they won't I, let you have a book in there. No books. Are you kidding me? No. What about like a Sudoku or no, something? They had chess. That was it. And I didn't play. I learned how to play chess. Oh my! I, I'm I sorry, but it sounds like going to prison. It, well, I a, mean, I think in prison you got more options. I think I'll chop. You can go to the yard the and do a workout. Well, that was another thing. We couldn't go outside either half the time. We never went outside during the day. You're really, really super off the grid, and that was super hard. And and um. I remember they, they play a couple songs in the morning to wake us up. Yeah. Now you're so stuck. This is not like Groundhog Day where they play the same piece of no. music every single they, they, day. To, to their credit, they play, but sometimes they'd play like, they'd play like, uh, like some uh, Danny Elfman weird, uh, like, you know, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas uh, huh. song that would like freak you out and the lights would be off and, and that would freak you out. But then they, one day they played Fleetwood Mac's Landslide. Oh, okay. So and you just got some class. And, uh, and a bit of tear. And I'm like, do this. I'm under my covers. <laughs> and then they put the lights on. I look across me. Ross Matthews crying. crying? Marissa crying. Yeah. Met a real piece. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I didn't care. But we were all crying because we were listening so intently yeah. to the song. It's you were just, desperate for something. Just give me something emotion. Yeah. Because... And when you live in that, you know, another thing would make you crazy. We were in a box inside a box inside a box. Yeah. I mean, they built a studio. They built a house. Right. Inside, inside a, a box. Yes. So they could run all the cameras around. Right. Inside, inside a, a studio. Yeah. yeah. So then if your brain would just go crazy, which mine would. You, you were know? boxed. You were literally boxed in. You got third in the end, didn't you? I got third. Indeed. You got third and you were very close to winning. And then your wife said to you, 
basically you screwed up. You're an idiot. Yeah, I, I got to the. Fin- I'm, I'm sitting. But she was still pleased to see you when you got she, out. She, we, it was a really beautiful thing because, like, you know, I saw her hugging her, like, I'm never again, I'm never gonna leave again. Like, I just, I'm never like, going back to the oh, house boy, again. Seriously, because like, it just you. You wouldn't go back, would you? I, I, I couldn't. <clears throat> you were talking, Mark, about that watershed moment, like the the yeah. the moment where when it all became really real to you, and yeah. and and that there was this possibility of something big happening in your life. This passionate young man who who had suddenly an opportunity to be on the world stage in music and, and what was that moment there was a moment after uh, our first record came out called lemonade and brownies yes not one of my better titles in 1995 and we went around the roll with it it got a big chance from a major label atlantic records and it didn't work yeah it didn't really sell it too much and um we were on the cusp of being dropped meaning the labels thanks for playing yep uh uh Go back to your, your, uh, the real world. Um, we got on Howard Stern at yeah. the end of that cycle. We cop- we, we covered a song he, he he's, wrote. He's been a big supporter of yours, right? Gigantic supporter. Howard Stern, a huge supporter. He used to say, like he always does, he goes, I write the greatest songs in the world. Yeah. I wrote these two songs in eighth, eighth, in eighth grade called Psychedelic B yeah. and Silver Nickels and Silver Dimes. I don't know why any of these bands don't cover these songs. They're hit songs, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they were awful. He was like in eighth grade. So we go, let's take a shot. We were literally touring from, um, I think we're going from Wyoming to Denver, and we stopped at the Denver Community College and asked the students in the music program, will you guys record a song for us? So we did a, a punk rock version of their song, of his song, Psychedelic B, uh, and we, it took us three hours. These kids donated their time. We just rocked it out, punked it out, and then sent it FedEx with our last like 50 bucks we had. We didn't eat that night, so we could send it. I mean, really, this is a true story. And there was no cell phones back then, no nothing. Um, so we sent off the tape to um, to New York City, to Baba Booey. He was on K-Rock at that time, right? K-Rock in New yeah. York at the time, exactly. Now, this was an unsolicited tape. We just sent it. Yeah. With no, like, And it paper. went directly to Baba Booey? And Baba Booey got it. He for, actually, for those people who don't know, Gary's the producer. Of Howard Stern. And he still uh, answers all the Big tooth jackass. Yeah. Baba Booey. Tata toothy. Yeah. Tata Fafa Foofy. All that good stuff. And... When Howard Stern came to uh, L.A. in 91, I, I was just, I was in. Because I had a girlfriend in San Francisco where Howard Stern was uh, and since like the 80s who said, God, you remind me of Howard Stern. You have the same kind of humor, which, I mean, I didn't know what that meant. But she would send That's me. That's a compliment. Gigantic. Yeah. She would send me tapes of the shows. And I went, wow. And then he came to L.A. And I'm like, this is my hero. This is, you know, Howard Stern. So we sent the tape. And I remember we said, okay. We've got about another week of tour support left. And then we're done with the cycle. And Atlantic Rex is going to say thanks for playing. Um, so we, we drive all night to get to our next show. I think our next show was in Des Moines or something. And we get to the club and we knock on the door and the, and the uh, manager there goes, you got to call your manager right now, right now. We go, why? He goes, there's an emergency. You got to call right now. We're going, oh my God, who died? We didn't know. Cause there was no cell phones. We, you know, we, there was no way to contact, no email, no nothing. Pre-internet. I mean, this is 90, 95. Uh, and he, and we get our manager on the phone. He goes, dude, Howard Stern's been playing the song five times all day in the morning. This is when Howard had 20 million listeners. Yeah. He was at the peak of his powers. Yeah. He was syndicated this all over 95 the country. was, I think, when uh, when his film came out too. Yeah, he was, Remember? I think he was filming. I think 96 is when it came out, but it right. was, he was filming. But he it, was talking about his film. Talking and, yep. about Private Party. It was the private peak parts, of his yeah. superpower. And his book. He had two books out at the time. I think the book had come out. That's and, right. Yeah, right, right. That's yeah. right. He couldn't have been bigger, you know? Yeah. And now the biggest man in radio, biggest show in radio is talking about you. It's talking about us. Sugar, yep. Who's a Sugar Ray? Finally, smartest man I know covers one of my songs. 
And, you know, it was a punky, crappy, slammy version of Psychedelic B. And it was just... Well, he was he, eight years old. Every... Well, yeah. So it's better not could have been eight years old. So he goes, my, our manager goes, leave the van. Leave this. You've got tickets waiting for you at Des Moines. He really? Wants you on, this is a Wednesday night now. He goes, he wants you on the show Friday morning. No leave way. Leave van. Leave your bags. Wow. Don't touch. Don't pass go. Don't stop it. Go. Go to New York. So we literally got in the plane. And, you know, we, we barely made it. We, we took the red eye here, there. We had no money. It's just this long story to get there. Now our record label's like, because they're all such huge Howard Stern fans. Yeah. Now, guys we've never seen at the label come down to watch us play. Now, we went from selling 10 records a week to, like, the next week we sold 1,500 to 2,000 to 3,000. So the label said, listen, we want to capitalize on this Howard Stern momentum. We'll let you make another record. So we're making another record now. Now... We have this record, we have this material. There's one song on there that sounds like it could be a hit. The song's called Fly. And I waited to the last chance to record this thing because I knew all the pressure was going to be on me right. to sing the song. And I didn't have a vocal style at the point. I would, I would sing, um, I, I'd do falsetto, I'd thrash it out, I, I'd rap. I'd, before rap rock, I'd just, I, anything, because I didn't have a vocal style. Can't really sing. You might have noticed that. Uh, so I'm in there, going to record Fly. Now the label's in there because they know this is the only song. Everybody's involved, and I'm out there by myself. There's a red light, and our producer, David Kahn, is in there, who had just come off the success of What I Got by Sublime. Wow. Loving what I got. They cracked the code of that Southern California punk rock, reggae, uh, hip-hop sound we were talking about. Yeah. So now we got a song that can kind of maybe fit that sort of narrative and those tenets to maybe be a hit. And it feels like it could hit hit. If it's sang right. Yeah. So I'm about to sing the song. I've got the lyrics that I wrote and I'm, I've got my melody. I'm literally shaking going, ha! Ah! And I take a couple stabs at it. It's going nowhere. It's really flat and just doesn't work. And, and David, David Kahn comes in on the intercom. He goes, Mark? He goes, yeah. I go, yeah, dude. He goes, I've got some good news and some bad news. And being an Irishman, I go, well, give me the bad news first. He goes, okay. You can't sing. <laughs> now I'm about to sing Fly, our only shot, capitalizing on the Howard Stern momentum. You know, otherwise it is over for Sugar Ray. No shit. Why would he say that to you because though? Because he's a, he, that was his style. He was a taskmaster. He was a it was no just BS said it like guy. It is. Told it like it is. Ugh. Now I went, there's gotta be a silver lining here. I go, beep, David, what could possibly be the good news? He goes, <laughs> if you listen to me on every note of this song, You've got a tone. <laughs> I think we can sell 2 million records on this song. Wow. If you just listen to me. And I just surrendered on my knees like, show me the way. Please show me the way. So we literally Frankenstein every bit of that. You know, oh, let's stop. And you go, they'd get, oh, oh, it's early Pro Tools, meaning they'd fix the key. Right. They would and just, so, thank God for Pro Tools because I wouldn't mm. be here talking to you either. So Pro Tools would pull up the key and pull it down. Long story short, he Frankenstein all the verses together to show me my voice. My voice is my talking voice. Wow. All around the world, statues crumble. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I want to be in my talking voice. Right. And so he showed me, led me the way. And that was a moment when I just surrendered. What everything. a genius. He was a So genius. you owe him and a lot and you owe Howard Stern a lot? Beyond. So that, but that was a moment I can go back. You know, we talked about like, yeah. you know, nostalgia depends yeah. on that's a watershed moment where I go, I surrender. And guess what? That record ended up selling 2 million copies. Damn. Off that one song. Two. We didn't even have a follow-up wow. single. Yeah, we didn't have a follow-up single. Wow. That's why, like, you know, 1459, the record to follow that was yes. selling 3 million. 1459, because people were critical of you and because they said, oh, he's just going to have his 15 minutes yeah. of fame. Yeah. And you were like, well, screw you. 1459, as in... 
Warhols, everybody will have their 15 minutes of fame in the future, which has never been more sure than today. Absolutely. This was, this was 20 years ago. And you were like, all right, 1459. Right. So I said this. I said, and no one was more self-aware than me of myself and the band. No one makes fun of the band better than me. We've already kind of gone over this, you know? Yes. So I said, okay, um, we're coming out with another record for sure, no matter what. I'm sure every critic's got their first two paragraphs written. Oh, somehow this crappy band from Newport Breed slid in last year with a big song, but they can't. I can see all of their criticisms written already. So I said, how can I diffuse that? What is there a way to do it? So I, boom, came up with the Warhol idea. 14 minutes and 59 seconds. Now, if the record failed, it's the greatest title of all time. Yeah. If the record succeeds, it's the greatest title of all time. Yeah. So when I came back to the studio, we went to Chandara. You know Chandara, a Thai place in Hollywood? Absolutely. It was right across from Coango. The studio was right across the street. And I go up to our producer, David Kahn. I go, I, who did the next record, we're not stupid. I go, dude, I've got the title of the record. He goes, what is that? I go, I go, I go, 14 minutes and 59 seconds. He goes, you mean like a digital clock? I go, exactly. Exactly. And goes, I had that album and I love that album. Dude, Listen, thank you. I love that. And I love getting transported back with that album. It's fun. Listen, you've been amazing. I want to ask you if you were going to take a road trip across America yeah. and you could take anybody in the car, three people in the car with you, you could drive across America. Are they living who, or dead? Any time in history. Mm -hmm. People you know, don't know, any time in history, who would you take in the car? I would take uh, Johnny Rotten, for sure, because he had such wow. a profound influence on me yep. in getting on stage. Yes. He said, it doesn't matter if you can sing or not, if you got the cojones, you can get on stage. He would be one for sure. Mine are going to be all musical. You know, what about Howard Stern? Would you take? Oh, you definitely take Howard Stern. Yeah, for sure. Forgive me, because he was. I mean, come huge, on. What a car man. doubt, Howard Stern. Yep. And I would probably also. Well, I got to get historical, right? I, you know, I'm going to read back a little bit. I might take someone like. Um, you know, this is going to sound altruistic and I'm going to be that douche right now. Gandhi. No way. Stern. Hold on. I'm Gandhi, trying to think of Howard Stern with Gandhi. I'll tell you why. Yeah. I think it would take a long time for all the gloves to come off and get to know each other. But you know what? I think Howard Stern would get on really well with Gandhi because Howard Stern's into this whole, you know, the meditation and all of that. Absolutely. And Howard Stern, in my mind, one of the greatest interviewers. Of all time. I'm the king of all media. Um, but, um, okay, so your last, so, your last day on earth, mm -hmm. uh, what do you do with it? Okay, first thing I do is I go to Del Taco and get a Del Beef burrito with extra cheese and sour cream, yeah. a cheese quesadilla, and a medium Mr. Pib. They don't pay me, it's my favorite thing. I pop my last propecia because I gotta look good going out, bro. I gotta look good, right? And then, you know what? I take my wife and kids, I, and we get, is money an option? Money's no option. Okay. We, then we jump on a jet to Hawaii because we're going to save. We're going to get three more hours. Don't waste the flight time. We get three more hours though. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, I see. And by this all that. happens early. Right, right, I went right. to taco at five in the morning, and I've right. done, done that many times. I've woken up. Okay. I fall asleep drunk with a burrito. Yeah, a Del Taco burrito like this. <laughs> Woke up the next morning. Ate the burrito. Because I'm that type of guy. I love it. So that. now I go to I go to Hawaii, right? Yes. And I go to the Grand Wailea there because I love it, and my kids love it. And I just sit there and I enjoy the last, probably about 12 hours left. Yeah. Just sit there and enjoy it last up with my family and, and that's it. And then to top it all off, yeah. that night, okay, Paul McCartney's on bass, Eddie Van Halen's on guitar, and Matt Chamberlain from Pearl Jam is playing drums. And we're doing all covers of my choice. I love until it. Until my last second. Yeah, and your last breath, my, your last note. My last note yeah. would be, uh, it has to be fly. Fly to be All fly. Yes. There we go. Absolutely. Man, you are <laughs> awesome. You're a joy, brother. Yeah, that I was so much it, fun. You're just, you, the day yeah. I met you, I go, that guy's such a good guy. And 20 no, we, years later, thanks for having I me think, here. I think Allison and Steve are going to love this interview. <laughs> I think they will.
You can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com. And let me know what's on your bucket list. You never know. You might be my next guest. Don't forget, ticket before you kick it.